Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. I want to ask you a question. What do you miss right now? Right in the midst of this this darkness and this crisis and the stay-at-home order especially, what do you miss right now? Now, there's all sorts of things to miss, but when I think about myself, and it's probably true of you too, what's interesting is the thing that I miss the most or the things that I have missed the most are the same things that I used to take for granted. Right, things like just going to the park. Right, the park is someplace I always think I, I should go, but I never go, and now that I can't go, it's still in the place I wanna go, right? And so maybe for you it's that, or maybe for you it's the mall, right? You never enjoyed the mall before because it was too crowded, you don't enjoy shopping, but right now, to be in a space with a bunch of people who don't have any sickness, to go out and shop and, and buy something right now and bring it home immediately, just seems so wonderful. Maybe for you, it's just a, a simple trip to the in-laws. This is a, not something that you looked forward to in the past, but, but now, man, just to get in your car and go someplace seems absolutely amazing, no matter where you, you can go, right? All these things that we took for granted, now we just wish we had them. For me personally, the thing that I, I'm really struggling with, the thing that I, I miss is just having something to look forward to. You see, I'm, I'm really driven by the next thing, the next, next adventure, the next project. And so I intentionally, in my schedule, what I do is after a really busy season of life, before I start that busy season of life, I'll drop on my calendar something to look forward to a new adventure or a trip or, or something. And as a pastor, some of those seasons are like Lent, and Easter, so I'll put something right at the end of that so I can work, 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 and then I have a little reward at the end. So you want to know what I have on my calendar right now? The answer is the exact same thing that you have on your calendar right now, which is absolutely nothing. And that's why I was so happy recently when ESPN said they were going to release this documentary called The Last Dance, which is the story of the 90s Chicago Bulls, your Chicago Bulls, and Michael Jordan. And so they released two parts for five weeks. Every Sunday evening is when they released that. And uh, it's an amazing story because the 90s Bulls were an amazing once-in-a-lifetime team. I mean, three championships and then three championships, probably would have been eight championships if Michael Jordan wouldn't have taken a year and a half off to play baseball. So every Sunday night, that's what I look forward to. I work really hard and then I get to watch my documentary. So I sit down with my wife, Ashley, and we just watch this and enjoy this together. But last week, as we watched part three and four, this is what she said to me, and it was, it was really just so profound. She said, where do they go from here? 
What she was saying is, when you're like these guys, like Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or somebody like that, when you're at the, the top of the world, right, NBA champions, rich, athletic, all, all that stuff, where do you go from here? What she was implying was, when you're at the top of the world, the only place to go is down. At least, seemingly, that seems to be true. And what's at the bottom of going down? The answer is depression. And so it's been an interesting case study for me to, to watch these guys come back, do interviews, and share their thoughts and feelings of their life then and their life now. And you can see how each individual player has, has interacted and, and lived in this new reality of, hey, we were the NBA champions, but we're not the present NBA champions. And we used to be young and rich, but maybe we're not young anymore. And maybe we're not even rich anymore. You see, when you go from the top to the bottom, you find dark times. You find depression. And so as we continue our sermon series today, Silver Linings, we're hoping to bring hope into your life, right? That's the goal, to bring hope into your life through God's truth. And so we're going to go into the Old Testament, and we're actually going to interact with a character who was at the pinnacle of his career, right? One of the most impressive people ever to walk the face of the earth. But when you're at the top, there's only one direction to go, and it's down. And he fought the same demons as all the rest of us. This is his story. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so as we start our, our section of scripture, this piece of history, we actually encounter three characters. We have Ahab, he's the, the king of Israel. We have Jezebel, that's his wife. And then we have this guy named Elijah. And all we know so far about this guy is that he killed a bunch of prophets. And so if you just stopped here, and this is all the information that you had, you would assume that Elijah is the bad guy. Elijah is the murderer. He kills all these prophets. But as we go on to the story, we actually learn a little bit more about the context and what's really going on. This is what we read. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And so as we move on to the story, we get more clarity about the story. And we see something interesting about the queen. We see something interesting about Jezebel. She says, may the gods, which gives us a pretty clear understanding of what she believes. She doesn't believe in the one God, Yahweh, right? God the Father, our, our God as believers, right? She doesn't believe in, in that God. She believes in a plurality of gods, right? Many gods, as many as she wants, right? Whatever gods suit her interests. And so we see something about her that she doesn't have the same faith as the Israelites. Specifically, she doesn't have the same faith as her husband, and, and this is a problem. Now, King Ahab, he, he was not a, a great king, and he wasn't really even a great follower uh, of God, but he was pretty smart politically. You see, the reason he had a wife like this is because it was a political advantage to marry somebody from where she was at. And so he married her for political gain, but it brought just religious destruction into this community of faith. And, and, and just as a side note, if you're thinking about getting married, 
or if you're engaged right now, whatever that is, this is a good, a good kind of just a, a truism that you need to marry somebody with common values or it will bring destruction into your life. And for this nation and for this king, that's exactly what happened. You see, Jezebel came in with her false beliefs and started permeating the culture. In fact, not only was it just kind of permeating the culture, but she was very intentional about it. She killed off all of the priests of God. And so God is using Elijah as his right-hand man, and he ends up killing off all the prophets of this God that she served called Baal, this false God. And so she gets pretty upset, right? So she makes a vow to retaliate. Elijah, you did this to me. I'm gonna do this to you. I'm gonna kill you by the end of 24 hours. And as you can imagine, this is not gonna be a pleasant death, right? This is gonna be a horrific death. And, and she makes this vow so seriously that she says, look, if I can't kill you, then may something horrible happen to me. And here's Elijah's response. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. So we see Elijah's response, and it's a, a very normal response, right? This is how I would respond, and this is how you would probably respond. If someone threatened to kill you within 24 hours, you would be scared. But I'm not Elijah, and you are not Elijah. Let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. He's an amazing individual. In fact, if you fast forward into the New Testament, we see this story called the Transfiguration. And it happens right after the Apostle Peter. Peter makes a statement of faith, this declaration of faith. When Jesus asked this question, and this is the most critical question that anyone can ask you, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? This question has so much hanging on it, right? It has your eternity hanging on it. And Jesus asks his disciples that question, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly answers. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And from that response, Jesus takes Peter, he takes James, he takes John, and they go on this little adventure. And they go to this place, and once they arrive, they're not the only ones there. You see, Moses shows up, and Elijah shows up. Now, these guys are, are way old at this point in time. I mean, they, they've been in heaven for quite a while, but they come back. And in this moment, Peter is just blown away. I mean, these, these are the premier heroes of the faith. It's Moses, Elijah, and now Jesus, who he just said was the son of God. I mean, these, this is unbelievable. And the weight of this moment and the excitement of this moment, it overwhelms Peter, and he starts just, just kind of babbling. He says, this is what we're going to do, Jesus. This is what we're going to do, Moses. This is what we're going to do, Elijah. I'm going to build you guys homes so you can just live in them. You see, what Peter unintentionally does is he makes Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the same level. So God the Father speaks into that situation. And he speaks with his voice and he says, this, Jesus, Jesus is my son. This is my son. And Peter and James and John, they're terrified because what this means is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Which means these guys, who are probably the most impressive humans to ever walk the face of the earth for a season, 
that Jesus is far above them. As significant as these people are, Jesus far exceeds them. But that shouldn't take away from these guys. I mean, these guys were obviously very, very, very impressive. So the question is, Elijah, how did he get to this status? What happened in his life? Well, this is what happened. You see, early on in his life, God comes to him with a special message. that He's supposed to go to King Ahab and to tell King Ahab that there's going to be a drought. God's not going to let it rain until he tells Elijah to tell Ahab that it's going to rain. And so because of this, things start going south in the nation. But God is going to take care of Elijah. And so he, he leads him to this brook so he can have water, right? Despite the, the drought, he can have water to drink. And then God provides for him. And so he has these, these ravens fly in and they bring meat and bread. Just an, an amazing story of God's provision for this man, Elijah. Well, after a time, the brook, it, it dries up because of the drought. And this sends Elijah into town. And when Elijah goes into town, he, he interacts with a widow and her son, and, and he ends up inside the house, and he makes a request. He says, will you make me some bread? And this is when the widow says, you know, I, I would love to make you some bread, but here's the problem. I don't have any resources, right? We are poor. I have enough flour and enough oil to mix together to make one last cake, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to make one last cake, me and my son, we're going to enjoy that last moment together, that, that last meal together, and then we're going to die. That's what's going to happen. And Elijah hears from God that, that God's going to do something amazing through Elijah and through this moment. And so he tells the widow, this is what's going to happen. Your flour will not run out. Your oil will not run out. And guess what happens? God shows up in a powerful way. And the oil does not run out and the flour does not run out. But after a time, tragedy does strike. The son dies. And the widow comes to Elijah and says, my son is dead. So Elijah goes to the room of the son and he actually lays upon him and brings him back to life. Just another amazing story of God using Elijah for his purposes. Well, after all that amazing stuff, you think that would be the pinnacle of his career. God is about to do something even more impressive. You see, he tells Elijah, hey, go to King Ahab. Tell him it's going to rain. And so he goes. And as he goes, he actually does something interesting. He, he gives Ahab a challenge. You see, at this point in time, that no one was following God. And so he wanted to prove to Ahab and prove to the people that God, Yahweh, God the Father, was the one true God. And so he challenges the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. And he goes out, and this is what he says. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars. Well, we'll get the rocks and the straw and the bull. And, and what we're going to do is we'll build these two altars, and then you pray to Baal, and I'll pray to God, and we'll see who can start the fire, right? Who can burn up this offering? And so the challenge was presented. And as you can imagine, this drew a crowd. This was really, 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 really interesting. And so as they get up there, Elijah says, hey, prophets of Baal, you, you guys can go first, right? It's, it's your first chance. And so in the morning, they start praying. They pray till about noon. At this point in time, Elijah just thinks this is funny. He starts making fun of them, right? He, he's making fun of them like, hey, is your God sleeping? What's going on? And so they just ramp it up. They start cutting themselves and carrying on and screaming and nothing happens. 
And so now it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah does something interesting. He actually, he cuts out a moat, right? He digs out a moat all around his altar and then he dumps water over the whole thing until it's completely doused, until the moat actually fills up with water. Now, why would he do this? Because he wants the people to understand that when it lights up, it's not a fluke. Just because it's dry, maybe there's a spark and it lands on the altar and all of a sudden the altar starts on fire, right? He, he wants them to know that this is something supernatural. And so he makes sure that it's completely wet. And then he prays. And then God shows up. And God sends fire down and it burns up the bull, it burns up the hay, it burns up the rock, and it burns up all of the water. Amazing, but God's not done. You see, now the rain is gonna come. And so Elijah tells King Ahab, hey, look, the rain is coming, you better get back home. And so Ahab jumps on his chariot with his horse or horses, whatever the situation was, and takes off towards home. Now, as you can imagine, if a king is existing, the king has the best of everything, right? So he has the best chariot, the fastest chariot, the best horses, the fastest horses. So he takes off towards home. And then God does something amazing through Elijah. Elijah runs and outruns the chariot 17 miles back to town. We see in Elijah's life that God has been doing amazingly powerful things through his entire life. He was absolutely at the top. But in this moment, what do we see about Elijah? That he was scared. He was scared because he was going to die. And so what did he do? He ran away. He ran 100 miles south to Beersheba to just hide from everything. And this is what happens when he gets there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. So once he arrives, he gets alone. Now, right now, you've been at your stay-at-home order for quite a while. I don't even remember how many days. Just a long, long time at this point in time, which means you might be around your spouse more than you're used to. You might be around your kids more than you're used to. And you might just want a break, to be honest, right? To get in the car and drive around and just be by yourself, right? Just to get some more health back into your life. This is not the case for Elijah. This This is not for him to find health. This is happening to him because he's very, very depressed. He was on top of the world, and as he looks forward in his life, all he can see is a downward trajectory. And this makes him very upset. In fact, this makes him suicidal. This is what we read. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. These are amazingly powerful words, right? He says, kill me off, God. He knew that he shouldn't kill himself, but this depression, this hopelessness had led to suicide because when you don't have hope that tomorrow is gonna be better than today, that every day following is not gonna be better than today, you get hopeless and you get so hopeless that you get suicidal. I don't know if you've ever been here before, but if you can, you can relate. When you understand or when you think that tomorrow is not going to be better than today, it makes you think the unthinkable. And that's why I'm glad if if that's the case for you, that you're listening to this sermon series. Because in this sermon series, we have this promise that's driving the whole conversation that God is going to bring good into the lives of those who love him and who are called by his purpose. 
which means if you're still here, God has something for you to do. He's gonna bring something into your life, a purpose and good to fulfill his purpose in this earth. And that's why you're still here because here's the truth. God has no problem bringing his family members home. He has no problem bringing his family members home. But if you're still here, he has something for you to do. Well, this is what happens to Elijah. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. So now Elijah, he's all isolated and he does what a lot of depressed people do, right? These are those classic signs of depression. He lays down and he goes to bed. He's just trying to ignore the world, right? He's just really fatigued. He's emotionally fatigued. And so he lays down and then God sends an angel. And this is so interesting because what it doesn't say here, like it says most every time an angel shows up in the Bible, it doesn't say that Elijah was scared. It didn't say that he had fear which shows you how depressed he was. He was just apathetic about life. Like even an angel would show up. He was just like, whatever, an angel showed up. But the angel gets him up. He's caring for him and says, hey, I want you to eat. Right, I want you to eat. Because this is what God does in these, in these dark times for our life. In fact, this is a really healthy coping mechanism is get back to doing the normal things, right? Take care of yourself. Eat, sleep, Go, get back to your hobbies, go on a walk, do all these things. In fact, right now, if you're somebody who's helped somebody who's gone through depression, this is true, right? You're the angel in their life. You, you rally around them, you say, hey, it's time to get back to normal things and you, you help spur them on. Right now, if you're, if you're going through this depression, read, please reach out to somebody so they can be the angel in this conversation and get you back to doing the normal things and get you back on a healthy pattern. But Elijah, Elijah was not quite there yet because look what he does. After this angel shows up and feeds him, what does he do? He goes right back to sleep. So this is what happens next. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise the journey will be too much for you. So once again, this angel stirs him, right? Get up, right? We're not gonna sleep our lives away. He feeds him and then he says, look, God has something for you. God has a journey for you. God has an adventure for you. God has a purpose for you. And this is how Elijah responds. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Orb, the Mount of God. This time he's ready to go. He's focused. He has a purpose. He has an adventure. He knows that it's not all downhill, right? There's something that God has for him. And so he goes. And as we're working through this series, and as we're thinking through these difficult times in our own life and these characters' lives and this historical moments like this, we've been using this question to help drive it home. So the question that we're gonna ask of Elijah, the question that we're gonna ask of ourselves is this. What will we find on the other side? What will we find on the other side of our dark moment? So let's start with Elijah. What will he find? If we can read ahead in the story a little bit, what does Elijah find? Well, you see, what Elijah finds is this powerful connection with God. He finds connection. 
You see, as he goes forward and he goes this journey, as he goes to this mount, God shows up. God shows up. He experiences God in, in the fullest sense that he can experience God in this life. An unbelievable moment that he might not have ever had because his depression might have overtaken him. His suicidal thoughts might have overtaken him. But in that moment, God says something powerful to him. He says, look, there's another coming. There's another prophet. His name is Elisha. And I want you to mentor him and prepare him because he's gonna carry your message and my message to the next generation. You see, Elijah's name didn't end here. It actually got handed on to the next generation. But he almost missed out because of his depression. He almost missed out because of his sadness. He almost missed out because of the unthinkable thought of suicide. But because he didn't do that, because he trusted God, God provided something. God provided connection. And God will provide connection for you too. Maybe it's actually happening already or maybe it's going to happen, right? Maybe that connection is just with him, right? Before you used to put your, your faith and trust, even though you might not say that, but now you're realizing, man, I put a lot of faith and trust in my skills, my job, my money, fill in the blank. What did you use to put your trust in that now you see actually isn't that important or maybe isn't that stable? But now you're realizing there is one who is stable. There's one who will always be there for you and that is God, that is Jesus, right? Holding on to that connection. And here's the beautiful thing about that connection. If we have that connection with God, we actually can hand that connection with God off to the next generation or, or those around us, just like Elijah did to Elisha. For us, it's our neighbors, it's our coworkers, it's our friends, it's our family, it's our kids, it's our grandkids. And we actually can hand that faith off. See, this has always been true. In fact, if you look at the genealogy of Christ, and I love the genealogy of Christ, if you look through it, there's gonna be a, a lot of names that have no stories connected with them in the Old Testament. No stories. We don't know anything about them, but we know about their son or their grandson, right? We know about their offspring and some capacity. And so what we can see is that their grandson, their granddaughter, their son, their daughter who made this amazing impact for God, they didn't do it in isolation, right? It was the life that was poured into them by their mom and their dad and their grandpa and their grandpa, grandma. You see, at the end of our darkness, we can find connection. Connection with God and connection to the next generation. And this is where we find our silver lining. Stay.